Welcome to Off the Wall, a podcast aimed at helping you answer the questions, what is the point of my wealth, and what steps can I take to make that vision a reality? Your host, David Armstrong, co-founder of Monument Wealth Management, and Jessica Gibbs, director of private wealth design at Monument, will tap into their over 25 years of combined experience in wealth management to help you answer these challenging but important questions. Interested in learning more? Connect with us on Instagram at Monument Wealth and follow along at MonumentWealthManagement.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave and Jessica. Welcome, everybody, back to Off the Wall. I'm Jessica Gibbs, along with my co-host, Dave Armstrong. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the pod. Yeah. So for those of you who are new to the podcast, you may or may not know that we kind of have a, a thesis to this podcast as much as we can kind of stick to that. But our thinking is that wealth is not about the sum of its parts. It's not about having a specific account or a product or a document. And it's definitely not about watching your money go up and down in the market like a roller coaster. We think that the point of wealth is about creating something of meaning and purpose, and that it's about having opportunity to make the choices that you want to make. So we think that's a really important conversation to have when it comes to wealth management. And so what we want to do today is talk about success. Success means something different to every single person. And I think it's really important to reframe success from, I think, what is typically talked about in the media to what does it actually mean to you personally. So we have an awesome guest on today to talk about this, Emily Harper. Emily is a certified financial planner and a partner at Monument Wealth Management. So welcome, Emily. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks, Dave. I'm really excited to be here. This is a topic that I know we have a lot of opinions on, so I'm excited to share those (laughs) opinions with everyone today. Well, we're never short of opinions around here. Nope. That's kind of the point of this podcast, too. So, Emily, why don't you start by sharing what do you think most people think of when they hear the term financial success? When people hear the word financial success, I think the immediate thing that comes to mind is probably percentages and numbers. Financial success is very much an art as much as it is a science. So you have these things like numbers, you have these rules of thumb that exist that I think leads to kind of a checklist mentality. Just for fun, ahead of the podcast today, I actually Googled financial success. What does it mean? And I did. It's such a fun way to kind of see what the consensus is out there, what kinds of things are really front of mind for people. And the top 10 posts on Google when you search that are all checklists, all things that you can do that are very generic, very rule of thumb based, which is a great starting place. But really, every individual is different. And this is where the art comes in. We have different goals. We have different milestones. And I don't think that this checklist mentality or this idea of more or less, more saving, less spending, more assets, less debt. This is very black and white thinking and is overly simplistic when it really comes to what success should be defined as for you. I think we also think of things like benchmarks. Specifically, one we hear a lot is beating the S&P or beating some kind of index that people are maybe a little hardwired to think of in terms of defining success. Investment returns are certainly a component of financial success, but they are not the end-all be-all. So things like beating the S&P, they're not the number one thing that we tend to think of here at Monument when we think about financial success. I think Dave actually wrote a really interesting piece about this recently in terms of 
some of the indicators that people might use when they're thinking about wealth and financial success? Yeah, and that came to me through the conversation with another financial professional, an accountant, and they posed the question back to me, what was my plan for retirement and did it align with my personal wealth plan? And first, I really appreciate them asking the question like that because we ask that question all the time. Nobody ever asks me the question. I guess they figure the cobbler's kids have great shoes. And it was interesting to hear that question get pitched back to me because I can answer it in my head, but when I'm forced to answer it out loud, it was a really interesting exercise. And what I figured out was that we hear a lot of people talk about their number, how much wealth do they need to be happy? And what I discovered in that conversation was I just don't really have a number. And to me, wealth is my ability to do whatever I want, whenever I want to. And how much money I have is really only one component of my overall wealth. And so what that means to me is I'm playing my own game and I'm not playing somebody else's game. So therefore it's really unproductive to compare, let's just call it a scorecard to anybody else's because I'm not playing the same game they're playing. I'm not playing with the same team. I'm not playing anything else. So if I try to say, well, your team had seven touchdowns and mine had two, that's just not really a fair comparison because maybe my team isn't trying to score touchdowns. So either I'm able to do what I want to do or I'm not. And so that was how I defined my wealth. And I thought it was kind of an interesting way to think about it. My answer is completely different than everybody else's or it could be similar to other people's. So basically the point being is that there's lots of different ways to think about success. And I like how you framed it, Emily, about it's not about having more savings, spending less. It's not that checklist, that success. I mean, even Dave, just in what you were describing there, it's inherently really personal about how success and what that means to you and your situation and your own personal goals and what you want to get out of life. Yeah. And we hear all kinds of different answers in the course of our everyday work here at Monument. Yeah, I think it's really important for everybody to stop answering that question in their head and answer it out loud because I think a lot of people's perception about what their wealth plan is, is they just want more. More money is better than less money. And a higher rate of return is better than a lower rate of return. But if you don't put those answers in the context of what's the money for, you may be chasing a wealth plan that isn't really accomplishing any of your goals. That's a great point, Dave. And up to this point, we've really talked about success as being a very individual definition. It's very specific to the person. But I think that there are some ways to think about success that are somewhat objective and a little less subjective. Specifically, we like talking about getting the big things right. So yes, I think the ultimate measure of success is being able to do what you want to do and having the wealth that enables that. But I think fundamentally, there are some things that we can look at and say that's a success. And it's getting things beyond just the investment portfolio, right? Or ticking off some of those rules of thumb. It's very comprehensive in terms of taking a look at how all of the pieces fit together in advancing your goals, your objectives to get you to the point of success. Things like making sure what you intend as part of your estate is actually implemented in reality with how your accounts are titled, really auditing those things, taking into account how you feel about risk, what kind of risk you can tolerate, how tax planning comes into the picture. These are all things that 
should be given meaningful consideration when it comes to achieving what you want to achieve in a way that's important to you. So Emily, do you have like a case study that comes to mind that kind of illustrates those things that you were just talking about? Yeah, that's a great question, Jessica. And I think back to all of the clients that I've worked with here at Monument over the years. And one case in particular really stands out to me because they said from the very start that their goal for particularly working with Monument was to, quote unquote, get their financial house in order, which I thought was such an interesting way to really position the importance of getting the big things right. This is a couple who were very advanced in their careers. They had accumulated a lot of assets throughout their working years, not only in things like retirement plans, taxable accounts, but also real estate that they had purchased over the years. And up to that point, they had been doing what they thought was the right thing in terms of just accumulating and getting more and more. But they were at a point where it was really time to take a step back and think about what's important to us. So what are we trying to do? I think they knew that retirement was definitely a priority sooner than later, but they just weren't sure that what they were doing was really the way to get there. So when we first met with them, we spent a lot of time really auditing everything that they had kind of accumulated over the years and not only auditing what they currently have, but also trying to figure out how those things would change over time based on current and future cash flows like their salaries, bonuses, future social security, alongside what they wanted to spend. And by doing that kind of audit and also reviewing things like their wills or any work that they had done so far to try to outline what's important to them and really what they want to happen in their lives, not only financially, but personally, that really helped us get a good handle on identifying things like excess cash flow that could improve the likelihood that they would be able to not only retire and maintain their lifestyle, but cover future things that might come up, unanticipated things like long-term care. I think so often we think to be successful, you have to have all of your bases covered in terms of policy to manage risk, like long-term care insurance. But we actually determined those clients didn't need that based on where they were in their lives and what they had been able to accumulate so far. So we were able to help them make a good decision about not purchasing something that they didn't need just because others may define something like that as being a financially successful or smart thing to do. We also helped them identify that charitable giving was important to them and establish a vehicle that allowed them to basically pre-fund the rest of the charitable giving they'd want to do over their lifetime with some liquidity that they had. So that was another great way for them to say, this is important to us. Here's specific actions we're going to take to make sure that we're successful in being able to prioritize this charitable giving. Finally, I think one thing for them was they had a lot of concentrated stock exposure and physical real estate properties that were not going to really advance their likelihood of success or produce the kind of income that needed to be produced for them to retire confidently and comfortably by their desired date, which was just a few years down the road. So we helped them plan around that and develop a diversified portfolio that really allowed them to identify not only what their goals were, but how they were going to go about achieving those goals by making some very simple decisions. Now they're well positioned to retire by their desired date. 
And they've really funded the things that they know are a priority for them in advance. And I think they're moving into this transition to retirement, feeling very comfortable despite some things that have changed in their lives from when they started working with us to where they are now. I think one of the most interesting parts about reviewing that case study is because it was, it was a complicated situation with a lot of moving parts. But as you were just reviewing it, one of the things you didn't talk about was, geez, did they have the best stocks in their portfolio? Gee, did their portfolio outperform the S&P 500? And that's what you mean by getting the big things right, which is so many people are conditioned to think about, well, tell me how well your portfolio did when they talked to wealth managers, when the reality of it is that, and I'm not dismissing portfolio management, I'm just saying that there's so much more to it. And we all know this because we see the industry and we see where people try to differentiate themselves. And one of the things that I've seen over the course of my 20 years in this industry is that a lot of people tend to focus on that. And a lot of firms out there tend to focus on that. Oh, we'll do the best asset allocation. We'll pick the best of breed money managers. When in reality, you could have the best portfolio in the world. But if your intention is to leave a closely held business to your children to continue to run and you have an estate tax burden that the kids have to write a check to the government and there's no cash flow there to do it and they have to liquidate the small business in order to pay the state tax, you've completely missed your goal of passing on the business to the kids. And so many people overlook those big things that tends to end up crashing. I'll just make up an analogy real quick. It's like parachuting. You could spend all the time in the world researching the best parachute, the best size, the best canopy, the best lines, the best harness, the best color for it, whatever it is, shape, all these kind of maneuverability and everything else. And then say, great, I've purchased the best parachute. And then you get in the plane and you jump out and there's no turning back. And guess what? You didn't put any thought into how it was packed. I mean, kind of a quick analogy off the top of my head, but when people miss the big things because they're focused on all the other stuff, they can really end up taking a wrong turn with their wealth plan. So Emily, you talking about all of that planning and modeling made me think of another way that we use the word success here at Monument. And that's when we talk to our clients about their Monte Carlo results. And I'll do a quick sidebar, a quick financial planning sidebar of what the heck is a Monte Carlo analysis. So when we work with our clients, we use a pretty powerful piece of software called eMoney, which allows us to do this type of financial planning, what if modeling that Emily was talking about. And a Monte Carlo is basically a way to stress test these scenarios that we build. Because as much as I would love to predict the future, no one can do that. So Monte Carlo is basically a way for us to take a scenario that we build and run it through a thousand different iterations of market performance. So that's basically saying, okay, you've got a lot of great market years stacked on top of one another, or you have a lot of 2008 type years stacked on top of each other. And out of those a thousand different iterations, how many times do you have money left over in the bank when you pass away? And that's what we like to call our probability of success. So that's where we can help clients basically look at, okay, what if you did this? What if you did that? And what is your probability of success? Yeah, that's a great point, Jessica. Thanks for that explanation of Monte Carlo. It's so simple, but sometimes we make it overly complex. Monte Carlo is really about measuring progress towards what matters to you. So on top of those market returns, we're layering in all of these things that we know are priorities for you, whether that's retiring or leaving a legacy for the next generation. We're looking at all of that on top of this randomized market return to see 
how successful are you likely to be in achieving all of those things? We think that's a great indicator when we're talking about enjoying financial success. It's a way to see that the financial decisions that you're making are actually translating into improved outcomes. We like to see that probability of success increasing over time because we know that when we're just starting to look at planning, there's a lot of uncertainties that start to develop as time goes on or become more known as time goes on. So that probability of success and seeing how that changes year over year is a really powerful way and an objective way to say, yes, I am successful in what I'm doing. And that idea of having those randomized market returns, we think it's so much better than judging your entire financial pictures against the return of an index. Why risk what you have and need for what you don't have and don't need? Meaning, We'd like to see that you can be successful given the things that we know, things that we know that you have in terms of your assets and your net worth and how that's projected to change over time. And we find that when people are just trying to measure up to an index as the benchmark for their financial success, they're often taking on more risk than they need to to achieve successful outcomes. So looking at the average return that the Monte Carlo analysis is using for a portfolio and aligning that with what your portfolio is actually doing along with your probability of success are some great ways to measure that success. And I'll use myself as an example, also kind of going back to the story about when somebody asked me what my wealth plan was and my wealth plan is unique. And this ties it back into an index because if I was managing my wealth plan to just say, I want to perform in line with the S&P 500, that's not taking into consideration anything more than just my portfolio growing, right? But my wealth is unique because I don't have kids. So my cash flows are different. My cash flow needs are different from other people. Again, this goes back to the I'm playing a different game than everybody else. And cash flow to fund a lifestyle through a second to die is, for me, prioritized over transferring any wealth to extended family and fulfilling any sort of charitable desires. I mean, something's going to be left over for those two things, but the amount that's left over at the second to die will not come at the expense of my lifestyle. And so to your point, success may end up looking like there's only $1 left in the bank after the second to die. But if all I'm doing is tracking my wealth plan against the portfolio against an index, it's not taking into account the need to remove those cash flows to live out of. And that's what the Monte Carlo simulation is looking at. It's saying, hey, Dave, great. Your portfolio is performing in line with the S&P 500. Fantastic. Congratulations. You have a great portfolio. But you're taking out so much money every single year to live on that you are losing the race between dying and becoming destitute. And that's why you can't just look at an index and you have to look at something like a probabilistic model to tell you, hey, you're doing okay or you're not okay. And here's what we need to do to fix it. Emily, can you talk about how we define financial planning at Monument? Because I think we've kind of been circling around this term, and I think we have a little bit of a unique bent on that term. We do. So I think a huge misconception that people have is that financial planning is synonymous with budgeting, which is not the approach that we take. At Monument, we have something really unique called private wealth design. And it's truly a process. It's an ongoing process that brings together the work that we do from a financial planning perspective in terms of projecting out the cash flows over time and looking at these big things like estate planning, tax planning, and combining that with what we do from a portfolio management standpoint so that everything we're doing in the portfolio is really aligned with what the 
financial plan says needs to happen to be successful over the long term. And it's this ongoing loop, and it's really an iterative process. We see financial planning really as life planning here at Monument. I think Dave already mentioned this, but we start with asking some really big questions like, what's the money for? And everyone has a different answer to that. Maybe it's retiring after you sell a business, or maybe it's preserving wealth and family values to be transferred to the next generation. You could be doing all of the things that popular media tell you you should be doing for financial wellness, but if you're not intentional about what the money is for and the specific planning required to advance those objectives, you might not succeed despite having a high net worth or despite having financial resources that you think make you financially successful. So it's really critical to have that good understanding of what the money is for, along with a detailed picture of your current financial state and your expectations for the future. So that's where we really get to work in helping you get those big things right. We leverage cash flow based planning, which I alluded to earlier, takes into account both current and future cash flows, basically your income versus spending, and how those cash flows impact your assets over time. So with that cash flow based planning, we get down to a very granular level in terms of having a really good handle of what all the cash flows look like over time, including things like taxes that sometimes we don't like to think about, but have to because it's really important to the value of your portfolio over the long term. But we think by using that cash flow based planning, it actually helps us increase the likelihood of being able to pay for your goals by taking such a granular view, but bringing it back to the big picture all the time. So we think that really increases longer term success through that robust cash flow based planning component of the private wealth design process. We also do audit for those big things like the estate plan, the insurance portfolio, to make sure that everything is working in concert to advance your goals and objectives. So most importantly, private wealth design is not done the moment we create the financial plan. It's really an ongoing process that we continuously revisit together and adjust because we know the only thing that's certain in life is that things are going to change. You can have the best laid plan and something happens the next day that totally changes your future outlook. So we are always helping our clients adjust their private wealth design as their lives and as their goals evolve and change. So that adaptability and that flexibility are some of the best ways that we can ensure success when things are so uncertain in a long-term future. I love that you talked about cash flow-based planning. I think people sometimes have misconceptions about what that means though. Definitely. I think there's this idea that because of the granularity of cash flow planning and really looking at items line by line on a cash flow statement, you're not connected to your goals and objectives. I think when people talk about financial planning, there's often this dichotomy of goals-based planning and cash flow-based planning. And I think it's a little bit of a misnomer that cash flow-based planning is not aligned to your goals. I think that the cash flow based planning really helps you have the confidence and the sense of security needed to know that the actions you're taking are actually advancing your goals. It's not just, okay, here's this pot of money for retirement. And if you're saving 15% a year and you're getting 6% on average, you'll be totally set for retirement. People are more intricate and nuanced than that. And the planning should be too. Totally agree. So this has been an awesome conversation, Emily. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us. 
I think a great way to wrap up actually would be for each of us to go around and share how we personally define success. Because I really appreciated, Dave, at the start of our conversation, you sort of emphasizing that this is something that everyone should answer for themselves out loud, not just sort of think about in the back of your head. Really try to put pen to paper and share with the people in your life, this is what success means to me. So maybe kind of to help our listeners start to think about how they might want to define success for themselves. Dave, why don't you share what success means to you personally? So it goes back to a little bit what I was saying earlier about being able to do whatever I want, whenever I want to, because again, without the consideration of kids, my idea of being successful is being able to have the cash to do whatever I want to and live my life because my priority is making sure that I have the best life I can have. And that is going to come at the expense of any charitable inclinations I have on the back end. And because I don't have a family or any children to give the money back down to, I'm really focused on being able to live. That's my definition of success. And that gets back to the whole, I'm playing a different game than other people are playing because somebody else could say like, well, I have, I want to live my best life, but not at the expense of my children. And I want to make sure that my children have enough money to use as a down payment on a house or go to college or, or even skip that generation and go to the next generation and pass their wealth on down to future generations. And they're playing a different game than I am. So success for me is being able to manage my cash flows so that I can travel or go places or renovate things in the house and be able to use the utility of that money to have a great life. What about you, Emily? Yeah. So my thinking is really similar to Dave's on this. And my husband and I don't have kids. We have fur children. And I'm surprised Dave doesn't have his fur children as his financial priority. (laughs) Well, there's money set aside for them. That's part of the lifestyle. That's part of the doing what I want to. Yeah. I think it's becoming more and more common to see families of different makeups than we've seen in the past, and particularly married couples without children, where you have two working professionals. And I think for us, we have entirely different goals and priorities than people who might be thinking about the next generation. So for me, success is being able to find the balance between creating a secure future for my husband and I, while still living in the now, I don't want to trade enjoyment today for something that may never materialize in the future. I think being married to an army officer makes you really appreciate every day that you have that you can experience life together. So for us, we definitely prioritize living in the now and enjoying the experiences that we have while also wanting to be able to retire together at some point in the future, the very, very far future. (laughs) Jessica, you probably have such a different take on this than Dave and I. Yeah, Jessica, I'm dying to hear. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I do have a little bit of a different take. For me, success is being in a position to make decisions based on my happiness and well-being, not on financial need. So I'm not really sure what that looks like yet, but basically having opportunity to make the choices that I want to make. So let's just say hypothetically, it's I'm kind of done working nine to five, I want to do what I want to do. So I, I want to retire. And I know that I can make that decision because that's what's going to make me happy. And I don't have a financial need to keep working three more years. Or conversely, I really love what I'm doing. It makes me happy. It brings me joy, makes me feel fulfilled. I want to keep doing this, even though I could easily retire now. 
it's that sense of choice and opportunity. That's what really is fundamental to the word success to me. I don't mean to rain on either of your parades, but neither one of you are retiring before me. (laughs) Not happening. (laughs) Emily's laughing. Jessica is staring eyeballs at me right now. We don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. If only everyone could see our faces right now in reaction to that. Yes, exactly. Nor would we want to retire before you, Dave. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I really liked hearing both of your definitions of success. After all this time in the business, it was so instructive for me to actually have to say it out loud because I was joking in my blog that when I have these conversations with myself, it competes with conversations I have with myself on other things like South Carolina winning their season opener this year in football. But and the fact that we had a graduate assistant have to become our quarterback um, week before starting the game. Those things compete for my attention when I think about really important things. So when I was forced to say it out loud, it was really constructive. And I think that's one of the things that's so valuable about, Emily, you were saying before about our process, is that we take the time to sit down and talk about these things with people and really extract from both husband and wife, what is the money for? And sometimes those answers are the same, sometimes they're not, but it's the act of talking it out and saying it out loud that's so constructive and actually the beginning of creating our private wealth design process and creating a wealth plan for somebody that I think has been successful for us and our clients. Yeah, Dave, I think the what the money is for is so critically important. And then also having the expertise and the actionable advice to actually do something about it and move towards that goalpost or that milestone. And I think that's where we as a collective team really excel in helping our clients. Yeah. And the checklist example that you gave early on in the podcast was really instructive because if I want to lose weight and get in shape and I Googled how to lose weight, I'm sure there's a checklist that pops up. Eat better, eat less, exercise more, everything that we all know. Okay. So great. All the checklist is helpful for me is like mentally preparing myself for the activity and the actions I need to take. And for some people, just making them aware of what they have to do is enough to change a lifestyle. For me, not only do I need the checklist, I need to actually go to somebody, get advice, be held accountable for things. And so that's why sometimes having the advice of a bunch of professionals is so helpful to people because they know what they need to do. They just need help doing it and they need the advice to get it done correctly, and they don't want to jump out of the plane with a great parachute, having forgotten about how it got packed. So with that, thanks again, Emily, and thanks everyone for tuning in to listen to another episode of Off the Wall. We'll see you again soon. Great. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.